Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and our topic today is an important one, and it's about using self-care to cultivate inner wealth with my guest, Julie Wald. Now, Julie is a wellness practitioner for over 25 years, and she's the founder, CEO, and chief wellness wellness officer at Golden, which is a global leader in wellness education and employee self-care programs. She is also the author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, Inner Wealth, How Wellness Heals, Nurtures, and Optimizes Ultra-Successful People. And in August, Women We Admire named her one of the top 100 Women Leaders in Healthcare of 2021. And by the way, I have that book on my desk. Julie, thank you so much for sending that. And welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Denise. I'm excited. I read your book over the the past weekend. One thing about this podcast is I get to meet, honestly, people who become my mentors in so many ways. I get to meet people who have just done amazing things with their life and their business. And I get a lot of books. I interview a lot of authors in my entire office. Every book in here, I am proud to say, was gifted to me by my podcast host. And I've got yours in my hand right now. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. So delighted. It's a great book. I mean, here's the thing, especially as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, women, I don't think we really put ourselves first. We're always, oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to make payroll. I've got to get my team going. I've got, I got, you know, you, you're, always, I got, I got, I got, I got. And at the end of the day, you're like, uh, I'm tired. So we really need to pay much better attention to how we're operating in the world, don't we? Absolutely. And and what you just described is such a common phenomenon that that I hear from so many women. Um, professional women who are just, um, you know, constantly in a state of taking care of everybody else, whether it's people on their professional team or people in their family, and and so often put themselves last. I'm guilty. I've done this all of my life. I was the oldest of a bunch of kids. I was the bossy one. I was always in charge of, you know, making sure my littlest brother didn't get run over by a car. (laughs) (laughs) After a while, I guess you just pick up that habit or you don't know where to stop or you don't know where to focus. And I'm so glad that you're here to help us with this because I need you. I mean, right now, as I was sharing with you in the green room, I lost a very dear friend last week. She I was speaking with her two days before, and she just died. She was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And then my computer blew up. <laughs> so between, And I'm not laughing. I'm trying not to cry. But between those two things, it has been me going, oh, geez, and other bad words. So I really need you on this podcast today is my point. Well, I'm sorry. It's been such a challenging Time and and I'm so happy we're here having this conversation. Well, it's very very timely, and you know if you're not going to take care of yourself, and I've said this to myself, I've said it to other people, you're in charge of you. You have to take care of yourself. So why don't we know we know it? I, I started to say why don't we know this? We do know it. Why don't we do it? Right, right. Well, you know I think that's. That's such a that's such a truth, which is that you know intellectually we we know that that so many things are important in terms of self care and and supporting our own mental and physical well being et cetera, um, but but actually executing on it, the practice of doing it, the habit of doing it is so incredibly challenging for for reasons you know that you you sort of just explained a moment ago, which is that since you know, many of us were very, very young. We've been kind of trained habitually to operate, you know, in a way that, that doesn't take into consideration our own needs. And, 
And we can know something all day long, but changing behavior is really, really challenging. These behavior patterns are, are deep. They're strong. It's powerful patterning. That autopilot response is, um, is really, really hard to, to shift. And so even though we know it, actually changing the behavior, the day-to-day behavior that continually kind of puts us last to behavior pattern that actually prioritizes our needs on all these different levels is um, is really the, the the important part of it. It's it's about how do we how do we re repattern ourselves behaviorally to start to take into consideration some of our needs. And that's definitely what I, what I wanted to talk with you about. I was reading, like I said, I was reading your book, and I had my my little sticky notes and my yellow highlighter, and this grabbed me. It's in the introduction. I mean, straight out of the shoot, it says that you have learned. I have learned through my clients and my own personal journey that riding the waves and staying present in our fast-paced demanding life requires a consistent, compassionate self-care practice. I think so many of us lack that. We get part of it. I mean, we'll, you know, go for a walk with the dog. We'll play with the kids. We'll, you know, go to the gym or do yoga. But I don't think, in my life at any rate, I'm not focusing on me, and I ought to be. And I'm kind of mad at myself right now. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the key word there is sort of, the key words I should say are sort of consistent and compassionate, right? So oftentimes we might do healthy things because they come from sort of the shoulds. You know, I'm not a huge fan of shoulds. You know, I should do this, I should do that, because of course there's a lot of things that we quote unquote should do. But the idea is to come at healthy behavior, whether it's, you know, exercising or, um, you know, eating really well or whatever that, you know, whatever that means to, to any one individual from a place of, of loving ourselves, from a place of genuinely wanting to nurture and care for ourselves. And so often people get into sort of self-care patterning, but, but it's, it's almost coming from um, sort of like self-hatred or, uh, you know, a, an a drive that we need to be thinner or better or stronger or, you know, somehow that we're not already enough. And I think that, that a truly powerful self-care practice, you know, comes from a place of wanting to really love and nurture ourselves. And that doesn't mean that it might not, you know, be challenging at times to, to take an intense run or, whatever, whatever it is that somebody does. Um, but that it's, it's really coming from that positivity as opposed to kind of a very, um, self-destructive inner voice, so to speak. That makes sense. Listen, when I tell myself I have to do something immediately, look, I fight with my GPS system. She says, take a left here. And I say, no, you're not the boss of me. I do the same thing to myself. I catch myself saying, you can't tell me what to do. Well, yeah, I kind of can, but I can't. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's know, what I was saying get about very the messy if you're not paying attention. Sure. Yeah, exactly. It's like immediately we can't even help ourselves. I'm a mother of teenagers, so I know what you know what the the rebellious tendency that that we have as humans. But the minute we think we should do something, we we don't want to do it anymore. Right <laughs> and. You know, it's it's really um, it's really a slippery slope when we get into that into that mode because we 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 resist doing the things that that would actually make us feel really wonderful just because of the angle at which we're coming at it mentally. So how do you get around that? Because I will catch myself. I'm sure we all do, if we're paying any attention at all to our little inner brat saying, "You don't have to do that. You're not the boss of me." And I do it all the time. I am guilty of that. So how do you say, okay, I'm aware that I just had this silly chat with myself. I still don't want to do it, but I need to do it. I want to do it. I want to love myself. Where do I go from there? Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of of questions, right? So it's sort of the opposite of the shoulds. It's kind of like, what would make me feel good right now? Or, 
if I decided to go exercise, how would that feel for me? You know, and, and we can kind of, um, it's like motivational interviewing. We can sort of like answer our own questions. And when we hear the answers in our minds, if we put the question out there in a spacious way, like, for example, this morning, I, um, I felt like, you know, it would, I, I needed some, some movement in some way, shape or form. And I was feeling a little overwhelmed and busy and a lot going on. And I said to myself, what do I need? Like, what do I really need right now? And the answer was not, I need to get on my Peloton for 30 minutes. The answer was not, I need to go, you know, lift weights. The answer was, I need some fresh air and I need to go outside and just take like a 15, 20 minute walk because it's a beautiful morning. And that is what I need right now. So I think, you know, when we can start to actually ask ourselves the questions and listen, as opposed to coming from that place of, this is what I should do, I should get on my Peloton, uh, it, it really kind of shifts the whole energy of that inner dialogue. And see, I love that. That makes absolutely perfect sense to me because the minute I say, you know, I've got to do this, I go, oh, geez, really? I just, I don't want to. No, it's a sudden thing. I don't want to. But, and I did something very similar to you this morning. It's a gorgeous morning. I live in the deep south. We have three seasons, hot, hotter in hell, and then the mud season. June <laughs> is going to be hurricane season, so we're back to mud season. But this morning, you know, I got out there at 530 in the morning and went, oh, it's beautiful out here. So as soon as it was light enough, I went out and started digging holes and, you know, putting the coleus in that I had bought last weekend. So that was helpful. It got me out of my gotta, gotta, gotta to don't want to, want to, want to, oh, this is terrific. This feels good. So I see what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It's really about meeting ourselves where we are, really listening and, and understanding that, you know, Consistency is really important, but there's nuance in what we're needing on a day-to-day basis. And when we can actually really meet ourselves there and in the truth and honesty of what we're needing in any given moment on any given day, we're going to find that we start to really refine our ability to know what we need, to intuit what we need, to take care of ourselves in the ways that are most important and most valuable. Because let's face it, many of us are really busy. We're holding a lot. There's a lot of stress. We might not be able to do all the things, so to speak, like all of the self-care things, right? Maybe it's, it's tricky to exercise for an hour and meditate for a half an hour and go to a yoga class and, you know, eat delicious smoothies and, and, and salads, maybe, maybe we just need kind of, you know, one thing that's going to be really meaningful and really just sort of hitting, you know, hitting, hitting it right on the mark. And we can't figure out what that is if we're not listening. So true. And this morning after I came back in, I came into my office, I opened up my computer and I didn't feel like throwing the monitor into the wall. There so you go. <laughs> it was very, very helpful. So there's just a lot going on right now. But you, and oh, I wanted to ask you this too. When when you're talking to yourself, I live alone, so I can talk out loud to the cupboards or to the cats or to the refrigerator. But I tend to say, okay, Denise, this is what what's going on. This is maybe what we ought to work on. If it seems to me, if I put it, if I say it out loud, I actually hear it, and I suspect the universe does as well. So keeping it in my head. Because, you know, we're, I don't know about you, I've got a monkey brain. It's just going all the time. But if I say it out loud, I have to concentrate on what I'm actually saying. So I find that's helpful to me, at least. Absolutely. That as well as writing it down. You know, for mm-hmm. for me, I have a little, um, I, I certainly say things out loud. I think that's such a great suggestion. And I also, you know, I have, um, I have a habit of putting funny little things in my calendar, you know, that, that really are serve as a reminder of, you know, what my intention is in that time. So I might have, you know, something in my, in my calendar that says, you know, take a bath at 
nine o'clock on any given night, or, you know, there might be a little, a little 30 minute window from, you know, seven to seven thirty that, you know, says move in some way. Right. Um, and, and that's again, where I sort of asked myself the question, like I mentioned this morning, what am I needing right now? Like what kind of movement is going to feel good for me at this moment in time, but saying it out loud, writing it down, really powerful ways to kind of make, make space and create some accountability. It works for me. You know where I get a lot of my ideas, too, and I say this on practically every podcast, in the shower. For some reason, because it's that stillness that you talk about in your book, I'm not being pulled by the phone or, you know, a client needs to talk with me or whatever is happening. It's quiet and it's still and I'm, you know, I can relax. And I have learned that that's when I get, I call them God winks. I will get ideas that just pop into my head and they are, oh my God, brilliant. But I've learned to, to, you think I'm a lunatic here, but when I will hear myself saying, well, I've got to, and here we go again, I know that that's my ego or I'm going to, that's my ego speaking. But if I say we, if I hear we can do this or we should do this. That's something different. I pay attention to that. But you know what I do, Julie? I bought bathtub crayons. And I scribble all over my shower walls. So I, I don't lose those that. really great points. Buy them. I'm telling you, it's fun. You can draw little pictures. You can you know, take those wonderful God winks, if you want to call them that. And then when I get out and the, the steam clears, because I always take a shower hot enough to steam broccoli, and then I take a picture of it, wipe the walls down, and I haven't lost a thing. It works. That's such a great idea. And it's so true that, you know, when we're in those situations, when we're in the shower, um, you know, when we're undistracted, when we're really not being pulled in a thousand different directions, that's when we really can connect to, you know, some of that that higher wisdom that, that comes through. And um, I, lo- I love your, your crayon practice. That's so brilliant. And you get to draw pictures. And listen, I'm a creative. I am not an artist. My hangman looks like he needs to see his chiropractor stat. But I have fun. Yes. <laughs> it's entertaining in there. So you, in your book, you talk about the four pillars. Let's head into those because I think they're so important. Absolutely. So, you know, the four pillars are really the fundamental ingredients in what I've observed to be sort of a healthy, well-lived day-to-day life. And those four pillars, those four major ingredients are movement, stillness, connection or touch, and nourishment. And Really, if you think about it, for those of you um, who might have children, you can remember back when your kids were babies that, you know, they needed plenty of tummy time and exercise. That's their movement that they needed, you know, to get 10 to 12 hours of sleep every night and take those naps that that rest was so essential that they needed to eat bananas and avocados and sweet potatoes and all that healthy whole food and they needed to be held skin to skin and talked to and that barring any other major developmental issues that or physical issues that you know these four ingredients enabled that baby to thrive that they would they would wake up well rested they wouldn't be cranky they wouldn't get sick you know they wouldn't have meltdowns and us as adults are really just big babies that, you know, when we don't get the sleep we need, when we don't get movement, when we don't have a sense of connection to the people around us, when we're not feeding ourselves in ways that are, are healthy, you know, that we get cranky, we get runny noses, just like our kids, we get sick. And, and that is what we're trying to avoid. And what I find is that so often through the years, adults sort of forget that these four things are so important. And we tend to kind of emphasize, you know, what what feels like the lowest hanging fruit to us. So, you know, I've met plenty of people that, for example, think they're taking really great care of themselves because they exercise a lot, which is obviously a great thing. It's wonderful to exercise. But if you're not also 
getting the sleep you need and plugging into the people in your life and, you know, feeding your body in a way that is nourishing, then you're actually not going to be okay. Just that exercise, just that movement isn't quite enough. And so with the four pillars, it's really about using it as a bit of a roadmap to kind of look at our own lives and say, well, you know, where, where do I need to turn up the volume, right? Maybe I need to get in bed a little bit earlier, or maybe I need to, you know, ditch the, you know, the refined sugar, or maybe I actually just need to make a more concerted effort to pick up the phone and talk to the people that I love and care about, as opposed to just text or connect with, connect with them on social media. Maybe that connection will feel really good if I can hear their voice. And so, it's, it's looking at our lives, looking at the four pillars and saying, you know, where, where do I need to up level? Where do I need a little more? And, and just like a baby who, you know, will, will feel better if they eat less sugar or sleep an extra hour or two a day, you know, all of a sudden we start to notice a difference when we can when we can make sure that we are um, weaving each one of these pillars into our lives in a way that feels authentic, genuine, real, supportive to us personally. And w- thank you for sharing that. One of the things that you brought up is you know picking up the phone. I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but I had to really talk to myself about that. I am a high functioning introvert. I'm not shy. I'm not even close to shy. In fact, I have no filters, but I need to be left alone 98% of the time, truly. So it's, I had to say, pick up the phone and not to call my mom who is now passed or my brother who is also gone, but you know, just pick up the phone, talk to a friend, talk to a client. And you know, once I started deliberately picking up the phone or scheduling a call, I would walk away from that, honestly, the same way I walk away from my podcast. I'm energized. I'm excited. I picked up new ideas. I got to listen to somebody else's story. I just, I walk away going, why haven't I been doing that all along? And I hadn't, and I'm ashamed to admit it. But, you know, it's just so easy to shoot off an email at 3 o'clock in the morning and call it good. I was in a really bad place with that. Yeah. No, a lot of people, a lot of people find themselves in that. In that. So I'm not alone because I really thought I was a bit of a freak. You're really not alone. And again, it's patterning. It's habit, right? So if we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I connect with one girlfriend every day on the phone, even if it's for five minutes, because that makes me feel plugged into my female support system and my community, mm-hmm. then that's a wonderful practice. And the key is to sort of figure out, well, when, when am I going to do that? Maybe it's on a morning walk. Maybe it's right after I finish work while I'm making dinner. W- whenever it might be, figure out when it makes sense for you to, to connect and plug into those relationships a little bit and start creating some patterning around it, some habit around it, where, you know, after a while, it just becomes part of your routine and you feel more connected because you're hearing the voices of the people that you care about on a really consistent basis. And you're getting that support that you need and, and able to, to offer it back to, to others in your, in your life and in your world. You know, last week, and I'm so glad you said that because last week was just not a good week for me and for this one friend of mine that we talk every Thursday you know, no matter what's going on, we, we try to speak every Thursday just to catch up and we do a little bit of masterminding and we couldn't. She was having kind of the same week that I was and we just could not manage it. So I got a text from her. It says, I needed my Denise voice. I needed to hear your voice. So I plugged into Blog Talk Radio, my podcast, and I listened to you and Ben Gay the third. She said, I feel so much better. I went, oh, there you have it. You know, that's, you, you do have to connect. You really do. So since yeah. we couldn't at the time, we really couldn't to chat together. She just listened to me on, on my podcast, which was, I guess, the next best thing. But I laughed. It tickled me no end. And she said, I love that. We know she's you know, like but it makes sense. You know, our nervous systems respond to sound, to voices. That's why, you know, as I mentioned, 
you know, parents know that they need to talk to their babies, their children, like that, 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 that hearing, um, hearing your voice naturally creates a certain um, response in the nervous system that is soothing or calming or depending on the situation, maybe it's exciting, but, you know, who knows what it is. We, you know, we don't, when we're reading a text from somebody that we, we care about, we're not getting that same physiological response as when we're actually hearing their voice. And so um, I love what your friend did. I think it, that it's brilliant. I thought it was so sweet, and I actually took a picture of it, and I'm going to post it on Facebook and cross out her name because she. I, I'll ask her if I can leave her name in there. But I just – I had a big smile on my face. I went, aww. <laughs> you just never know how somebody is going to reach out and touch you or how you're going to reach out and touch somebody else. Being an introvert, I just never really figured I needed to do that. I figured, you know, I like to be left alone. Everybody else should as well. Turns out that's not how the world works. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've really loved it when she did that. So let's go back to the four pillars. So we've talked about, you know, talking and, and really reaching out. Where else do we need to go with that? Because you've got yeah. four of them, and they're great. Yeah, and so, you know, I think one of the most important things to remember with these four pillars is that they're general on purpose, right? Movement, stillness, connection, nourishment. These are very broad categories. And so when we think about, um, when we think about each of them, it's really about figuring out what is the most authentic expression of this pillar for us in this moment, in this day. So for example, as I mentioned this morning, I took a walk outside because that felt like the kind of movement that I needed today. Other days, it might be that I need to, you know, lift weights or do yoga or, you know, get more intense cardiovascular exercise. So it's, it's not about um, a should or, you know, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. It's sort of what movement do I need right now? What, what would feel good to me? And figuring out the, the, you know, the resources or the practices that really feel most authentic. Because the other key, as we talked about earlier, is consistency. It's coming from a compassionate place, but it's also consistency. And it's really hard to do a pillar, so to speak, consistently if we're trying to do things that we don't genuinely find enjoyable. So as I mentioned, kind of sky's the limit with movement. It could be that you love to dance or it could be, um, you know, could be Tai Chi. It, it, it's pretty much endless as to the types and ways that you can actually express the movement pillar. Moving on to stillness, you know, stillness is, of course, sleep, but it's also the other half of all of the doing. It's mindfulness meditation, it's breathing, it's quite simply just relaxing, you know, finding time to curl up with a really good book or, um, you know, just sit outside on a lounge chair and, you know, feel, feel the air, feel the, the breeze, listen to the birds. It's, it's finding moments of um, being undistracted. Gosh, it's like, Taking a shower could be stillness, right? Because you're not um, you're not doing a million other things. What's what's not stillness is lying in bed and scrolling social media or something like that. Because you know, even though you physically you're lying down, you're really not finding or making that space for a sense of recovery in your in your mind and body. So, I think um, you know, sleep is incredibly essential to our physical health, to our mental health. It's one of the most underrated ways that we can take care of our bodies. So first and foremost, making sure that we're getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night is, is really, really important. But also, as I mentioned, sort of figuring out what are the ways that you can find those moments of recovery throughout the course of your day, throughout the course of your week. And then 
we talked a little bit about connection. Connection is about calling a friend and staying connected to our community, but connection is is really multidimensional, right? Connection is physical touch. It's, you know, obviously in appropriate ways with the appropriate people, but just taking a moment to, you know, if we're in a partnership to, to embrace that person with intention consciously to put our hand on somebody's shoulder, those little moments of, of touch really signal to our nervous system that we're safe, that we're okay, because human beings are, you know, we're pack animals, we feel safer, even if we're introverts, we, you know, we feel safer knowing that we can access the support that we need in any given moment. If you think about you know, primitive times, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago, if you're in the woods or in the desert or in the jungle, you know, it really wasn't very safe to be all by yourself. You needed to be with your tribe and that's how we survived. And so our nervous systems are wired, you know, from years and years and years of conditioning and surviving in the world. So touch is important. Connection is important. Even within connection is something called network diversity. So making sure that, you know, it's not just necessarily our our nearest and dearest and closest friends that we're connected to, but that we find ways to actually plug into community, whether it's through religious um, community or through other special interest groups or sports that we like to do. Those relationships, those just community relationships, which, which may not be the deepest relationships, but it's a sense of being plugged into a support system um, are actually really powerful for our mental and physical health and well-being. And then lastly is nourishment. And nourishment is food, as I mentioned. It's eating whole foods, and that really includes sort of minimizing refined sugar, minimizing eating things that come out of packages, you know, minimizing a lot of simple carbohydrates, um, eating a whole foods diet, but it's also about nourishing our souls. It's about nourishing our intellects. It's about nourishing our hearts. You know, we, we nourish ourselves through listening to wonderful music or through creative processes or, you know, even something as simple as taking a wonderful bath can be a combination of stillness and nourishment. Um, we nourish ourselves by going to a play or being in, you know, going to church or synagogue for people can feel deeply nourishing and also touches on that connection pillar. So there's many things that are wonderful for us that, that sort of really hit more than one of these pillars. They don't really exist in a vacuum. They're very interconnected and interwoven. Um, but I think ultimately what's most important is to find the most authentic expressions of these pillars and, you know, really to, to bring them into our lives in a way that feels sustainable and natural and most real for us. And Julie, you've said a moment several times, and I wrote that down several times because that's important. Yeah, it's it's difficult, like you said earlier, to say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. You know, I've, I've had this habit of going to the gym. I'm there for an hour. Maybe it's not always possible during COVID when that was really rearing up. That was not possible. But I love what you said about moments because, you you know, it can be just a moment in time where you pick up the phone and you text your friends, hey, have time to chat in an hour. Yes, I do. Okay, great. Or, you know, with and then going back to, so it doesn't have to be this massive yeah. undertaking. You just take those moments. For instance, I'm a computer developer. I'm a nerd in stilettos. I build websites literally in my sleep. I had developed the habit many, many years ago because I'm in a chair all the time. So I developed a habit of every time I get up, and I'm like a jack-in-the-box. I'm popping up and down out of this chair all day long. I do squats. I may do 10, 20, you know, I may do some calf raises, but I'm doing something to stretch my torso, stretch my back, make my hip stop hurting, because after a while, I've realized I'm sitting wrong, and my hips, like, uh, move now, <laughs> so I think that happens to a lot of us, but those are moments. I don't have to think about them. I just do them. 
It's so true, Denise. And those moments can literally be the difference between you feeling at the end of a day like you've been run over by a truck versus feeling like you have some energy and your body, you know, is flowing. And, And those, you know, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that that's one of the biggest obstacles that people face is that they think that this stuff should take a lot of time and therefore they must not not have enough time. And that is really, really not the case that, you know, small, even momentary intervention, something as simple as taking one or two or three deep breaths before we dive into our email or a conference call or a challenging conversation, something as simple as drinking water throughout the day while we're sitting at our desk and reminding ourselves that we need to hydrate, you know, doing simple stretches um, while we're sitting in our chair or, or getting up for a few minutes and just taking a brief walk that these types of practices are incredibly powerful. Now, when people, I hear a lot that people struggle to fall asleep at night, right? There's a lot of people that struggle with sleep. And one of the other sleeping at all. I'm a cat now. (laughs) It's a very, very, very huge issue for so many. And you know, I also have learned through working with so many incredible clients through the years that when we're going a million miles a day, I mean million miles an hour all day long from the minute we wake up it's like slamming on the brakes at night when we try to go to sleep. So if we can find moments, small opportunities to find stillness, to restore, to relax, as I mentioned, something as simple as taking a deep breath, taking two minutes for a guided meditation or something like that. Those are like little yellow lights throughout the course of our day so that when we get to the end of our day, our nervous system remembers how to downregulate, remembers how to relax. And therefore, it's not like we're slamming on the brakes, you know, at night, but we're able to kind of ease into that more restful place. So finding small windows to find a sense of calm, to downregulate throughout the day, even if it's for a moment, can actually be a wonderful way to support our sleep health. Oh, I love that. Because I, I am not known for sleeping. I just, I've catnapped all of my life. I sleep maybe an hour or two and then I get up and or I wake up and I change a channel because I'm a lucid dreamer. Sometimes I get up and vacuum. I've been known to make tacos at 3.18 in the morning. Wow. No what I'm going to be doing. But I'm not an insomniac. I just don't sleep in big chunks of time. If I do, I'm probably sick. I'm probably just don't feel well. Yeah, I know, but it's been this way all my life, so it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's um, if I do sleep too much, I'm actually groggy, which is weird. But listen, I wanted to go back to something else because you're talking about restoring and relaxing, and that leads me back to touch. And for those of us who don't live with other humans by choice, we have pets, most of us. And look, the pet industry is massive. There are stories now of people saying, you know, I'm in hospice. I just want to see my dog again. I read a story, saw a video not too long ago where a woman was taken outside in, in her hospital bed so she could say goodbye to her horse. That's touch. Like I have cats. They they are known as feline office assistants on Facebook. They took <laughs> a dog as well. And I'm touching them all the time. I'm looking at Silas. He's sitting here on my desk listening to me. I mean, I'm always reaching out and touching one of the cats or a dog or saying, Hamilton, stop biting your brother's butt. I mean, there's there's always something going on. But I don't have an opportunity to be without touch because of pets. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Absolutely. And I think pets are some of the most incredible therapy. I, I, I mean, yes. I, I, am a, I am a pet owner myself. I have a dog and a cat. And I, I also call them my, my colleagues, actually, because they usually sit very nearby while I'm doing my work um, through the day. And I find myself just, you know, just holding them and petting them and touching them, even while I'm on a, an intense conference call or something like that. 
And it's really, really, really powerful. That way to access touch is huge. It really is. And, you know, I one of mine he's known on Facebook is he's a hashtag. Hashtag Hamilton is an ass because he's a 20-pound ginger and he's got big personality. I call him my son, the cat. He is, if I'm anywhere in the house, he's there with me. And I really, if he's not, I'm like, where'd you go? What, what, what happened? Where are you? It worries me. So I right. think those well, of us who said, have had four right. children or all of it, we're, we're so accustomed to reaching out and touching somebody or something that we just don't, I don't know how people don't have, if they live alone, a pet. I, I just don't understand that, but that's just me. And if they do, and if they are in that situation, then it's important to recognize that they need to find other ways to plug in, to, to, to connect to the people around them, you know, whether, um, whether it's not physical touch and whether it's, as we said, just picking up the phone or, you know, showing up in community or yeah. even something as simple as going right. to get, you know, a foot massage or a manicure or a pedicure or something like that, you know, even even those ways of touching actually signal to our nervous system that we're safe. So, um, yes, ideally we're hugging and kissing and with pets and humans, but if that's not available, just being aware of how important the need is and getting creative as to how we can meet that need is certainly an option. And we have to be aware of it. That's the thing. If we're not aware that we may be lonely, we may be absolutely starved for some kind of touch. Listen, I'm, I live in the Deep South, but I haven't always. I was born and raised in San Francisco, and I moved here a long time ago. So I'm accustomed to you know, people wanting to hug you in the Walmart parking lot. But when I first got here, I was like, oh, God, don't touch me. Ah! And I hated it. Now I'm like, what? What's wrong with you? You're not talking? What's going on? We talk yeah. to everybody. My sister was here one time from San Francisco, and she said, why do you talk to all these people? Do you know them? Nope. But I'm fixing to. So right. it, it's interesting how right. you change when you realize that you do need some kind of interaction, whatever it is, but you have to invite it in. Absolutely. Okay, so I am now, I'm not sure what chapter this is, but I love the title. It says, Pencils Down. In today's society, we're working more hours than ever because we can. Guilty. My hand just went up. I'm so guilty. But I'm trying to find time to focus on how do I feel? How does, you know, what am I up to? What can I focus on that actually helps me and helps other people instead of me just pounding that keyboard? And I go through two keyboards a year, by the way. So I know what you're talking about here. Yeah, and and this is something that I think so many people are dealing with right now when we're kind of always plugged in and always working. And, you know, it's it's just, the lack of boundaries between our personal lives and our professional lives, you know, our ability, quite, quite frankly, to be kind of working 24 seven is a fast track to burnout for many, many people. Now, some of us can sustain, you know, intense levels of doing nonstop for extended periods of time. But in my experience, oftentimes, that ends up in kind of a crash and burn type of a situation. And so one of the things that I think is really important and I've, I've really learned through my work with so many incredible high performers is that our greatest strength is, is oftentimes our greatest weakness and that drive to constantly be doing or improving or performing or being productive. While maybe it's worked for us in a variety of ways in our lives isn't necessarily going to be the best long-term sustainable modus operandi, so to speak. And that if we can decide at a certain point that it is quite frankly pencils down, that we are not going to work after a certain hour in the day, that we are not going to, you know, work on, on a weekend if we can get away with it. And again, I, I understand that, people have demands and people have jobs and we have to, we have to get things done. But 
if we don't bring some awareness to how we are managing our time and, you know, really make the decision that we need to make space for our, for ourselves and for our self-care. And that includes for just being with people that we care about and, and love that, um, that, that the same thing that made us so successful may end up becoming quite a toxic pattern in our lives. No kidding. I'm looking at laughter. Humor is creative. I love that because I happen to think I'm one of the funniest people I know. I'm very entertaining. I actually really enjoy (laughs) talking with myself, and I'm kidding, kind of. But if you don't know how to laugh with yourself or at yourself sometimes, oh, boy, you're looking at a very dry, dusty inner landscape, I think. Yeah, very, very true. I think, you know, finding finding ways to – access that sense of of lightness of joy and again it's a bit of a muscle that we need to that we need to practice some for some people you know if if it's not if you tend to run kind of more on the intense or serious side remembering that finding ways to access joy, to laugh at ourselves, to take things a little less serious is really healthy for us. And so we all have those friends, right? We know, we know different, we get different things from different relationships and we all have the friends that are the ones that we go to when we're really struggling or in a very challenging, you know, emotional space. And we also usually, you know, have friends that we know that when we're with them, it's funny, it's light, we laugh, we crack up, you know, that those are the people that bring out a different side to ourselves. And so sometimes it's really important to be aware enough to say, you know what, I need a little more lightness in my life. Who am I going to surround myself with that's going to help me access that part of myself, that part of myself that just wants to, to laugh and take things a little less seriously. And it is important. I mean, it doesn't matter how serious you are as a person. You've got to have some fun in your life, whether it's going to an art gallery and just, you know, looking at all of the different and just drinking in all of the different art. Or with me, I'll give me a stack of books. I'm as happy as I can be. Once Every weekend, once I've got everything done that needs to be done or I think needs to be done, it is not uncommon for me to read five or six books in a weekend. I may be outside under the pecan trees. I may be on the couch. I may be anywhere. I've been known to, you know, sit under the, you know, the, in the hair salon marinating and read a book. I will always, that will always be my choice to relax, is read a book or 10 or whatever I can get my hands on. But you have to be aware of what really, truly says, oh, now I'm happy. Totally. And, and Denise, I love that you, you know, you know that, that reading is such a passion of yours that it, it just automatically makes you feel happy and relaxed. And for some people, it might be doing something like putting on great music that they love or a certain style of music, right? For other people, it might be they know they need to get, they need to take a hike or get into the woods or get into the water and swim or, you know, and and it's just about taking a moment to, again, to go back to the beginning of our conversation, like, what do I need, right? Really remembering to ask ourselves that question. See, and I am so in love with that, what do I need? What do I need right now? I'm not sure I actually do ask myself that, but it's in my, my notes to say, Denise, talk to yourself. Listen to yourself. Ask yourself what you really need right now at this moment. I probably do it at a subconscious level, but like I said earlier, it's better if I speak it out loud and then, you know, answer myself out loud. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You've got in your book some terrific case studies. Do you have any favorites that you want to share? Oh gosh. I love, I love all of them. Is there one that stands out to you as, as, as a favorite, Denise? Not at the moment. I mean, one of them was, um, and it had to do with yoga, which I cannot do, by the way. I've tried. I fall over. I can't. I just can't do it. But it was, um, I think it was a real estate 
let me go back. Oh, oh, oh. This one, your dad, I really like, I highlighted this. Your dad has psoriasis. Mm-hmm. And I can't pronounce this, but something arthritis. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, um, so my, so psoriasis and, 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 and psoriatic arthritis runs in, runs in my family. And I, you know, I discovered, so after I, I, I always had a little bit of the psoriasis, which is like a skin condition, um, and it started rearing its head in my early twenties. And I, but I kind of kept it at bay. And then I, I'm a mother of three children. And after I had my third child, um, this, it's an autoimmune issue. This autoimmune issue, the psoriasis got really bad. And then something set in called psoriatic arthritis, which as I mentioned, my father has, and it's, it's, it's basically real inflammation in the joints. And I found myself limping and I had, you know, a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a newborn, and I had spots all over my skin and I was limping and I was supposed to be a, a wellness expert, right? I, I, I coach people, I teach yoga, I teach meditation, I do all these things. And I felt like I was falling apart and it was really, really frightening for me. And I knew that I wasn't ready to, dive into kind of a heavy pharmaceutical um, routine. I'm, I'm sort of of the mindset that I try to do. I'm not, I think pharmaceuticals are amazing and can save our lives. And, and I'm, I'm certainly not anti, but I do believe that there's so many things that we can do for ourselves before we necessarily medicate something. And so I always, I always sort of figure out, have I turned over every stone first? And, um, I, you know, I really started to, to research and learned that changing my diet would dramatically impact this, um, this disease. And so I was already a pretty healthy eater, but made some further adjustments to my, to my diet. So I stopped eating all um, grains, all sugar and all dairy. Um, I also really dove intentionally and deeply into practices that help me reduce stress, like my yoga and my meditation practice, because it, you know, it was a variety of factors that made that flare for me, but um, stress being one of them, you know, knew that if I could work with my stress level, that it would, it would only help. And amazingly, you know, just by making some of these lifestyle changes, and I really call this lifestyle medicine, I was able to put this autoimmune disease of the, both the psoriasis and the arthritis fully into remission, um, which was really, really, really. And listen, I agree with you about food. Listen, I live we're very close to the Gulf of Mexico. We eat a lot of fresh fish, a lot of fresh shrimp and crabs, and, and we. but we also eat a lot of rice, which I'm really trying to back away from. Sugar is not my thing. I don't – I'm a super taster. Sugar actually hurts me. I don't like the way it tastes. I stay away from it. But there's this one grocery store. It's a local grocery store, and that's where I go to get all my fresh foods and organic, you know, fresh-grown vegetables. But the – Pay attention when y'all in the grocery store, I'm telling you. With this, you go into one side of the store, it's low lights, everything is fresh, it's just wonderful looking, it's beautiful food. Then you wander over to the other half of the store where even the flooring changes. It goes from this floor, you know, like wood look floor to that god-awful linoleum stuff. It's fluorescent lights over there and everything is brightly colored because it's in boxes and it's in cans. My best advice to you is just lick the picture because that's all the nutrition you're going to get. Stay away from there. It's so true. It's it's really, um, I always, you know, I really try to avoid eating anything that comes out of a wrapper, basically. If it doesn't come there out of a wrapper, then it's probably good for me. Right. Right. And stay away from drive throughs Now, you talk, and I wanted to ask you about this. You talk about the gut-brain connection. What is that? Yeah, so there's been a huge body of research done um, in the last 10 years or so where they've really learned that 
the um, the ecosystem, the microbiome in our in our gut is directly related to our our health, but particularly our our mental health. And so, when we can properly nourish our bodies with food, um, when we can make sure that we are um, giving all the micro and the macro nutrients that our body needs to our, our gut, the, the gut itself um, becomes an hel- a, a, healthy, a healthy ecosystem. And that is both literally and figuratively kind of the center of the body. It's sort of like the epicenter, the control center. So when we're feeding ourselves you know, foods that are filled with refined sugar or a lot of chemicals that we can't pronounce, we're basically, you know, sort of assaulting the, you know, the command center of our body. And that can lead to everything from, you know, attentional issues to depression, to um, anxiety, to obviously, in my case, you know, all kinds of skin issues and inflammation issues and joint issues. So, um, some people call the gut the second brain because um, it is such an important uh, predictor. The health of the gut is such an important predictor of, of, of everything that happens in the body. You know what I notice if I've eaten something that I really shouldn't have, and I knew it when I ate it. It's like it's instant brain inflammation. I get tired. My body is tired. My brain gets fuzzy. And inflammation, I think, if I'm not mistaken here, is one of the biggest health issues that we have. It's absolutely the root of all disease. You know, it's it's really, uh, or I should say most diseases, maybe not all diseases, but it's, it's um, and it's such a chronic problem in our society because of the food because of sort of the existence of the supermarket, so to speak, and the way that we treat our bodies um, with food is, is really led to an inflammation epidemic in our culture. And you talk about your son who has an allergy to red food dye, which uh-huh. I found fascinating. So, and he's, I think 12 and he knows that he's sensitive but sometimes he'll still go ahead and do it. What I like, what I really like is that you you don't tell him, eh, you shouldn't have done that. You try to encourage him to pay attention to how he feels and then maybe make different decisions. Absolutely. And again, that goes back to that concept of if it starts to become a should, like you shouldn't eat Swedish fish, <laughs> which are going to make your entire body itch and inflamed. You know, I could say that all day long, but especially with a kid who's basically a teenager at this point, like that, that doesn't work. So what I've learned is to start with questions, like, how does it make you feel? And then he'll be able to say, it makes me feel really rashy and itchy. And instead of me telling him you should or you shouldn't do it, you know, then all of a sudden he is able to kind of come to that conclusion on his own. Fortunately, it's not an anaphylactic allergy. It's nothing that's going to actually be life or death. Obviously, those kinds of food reactions are a whole different story. But in this kind of situation, and, and this goes for a lot of the foods that we eat that we may, as you mentioned, have sensitivities to where we just don't feel well afterwards, um, you know, it's it's really important to ask ourselves, like, how did that make me feel? And usually we'll answer our, our, our own question and know what we need to, to do or not do the next time around. Right. If you need a nap, you ate something wrong or you ate too much or you did both. And I live in the South. I mean, the food here is just, oh, my God, good. So you have to learn what you should eat, what you, you know, how much you should eat and when you should eat it. For me, I'm not a three day a, a meal person. I tend to eat one meal midday because that just that works for me for some reason. And I didn't mean to cough on you. I thought I was muting, but sorry about that. All of a sudden, no worries, I no just worries. cough. Anyway, we've got about a minute left. So before I let you go, where can people find you? And is, are there any last minute kind of tips or advice that you want to share? Yeah, I would just love to say, you know, as a takeaway, think about 
the four pillars. Think about the area in your life that needs a little TLC, needs to be enhanced a little bit, whichever pillar that might be for you. And then think of one small, really authentic, meaningful way that you can move the needle. I can be found at uh, well, my website, which is heyitsgolden.com. That's heyitsgolden.com. Um, I can also be reached by email, Julie, J-U-L-I-E, at heyitsgolden.com. Julie, thank you so much, and thank you for the book. I, You ought to see it. It's fat. It's got sticky notes all over it. It's gained some weight. Cause it's, I mean, I've got sticky notes everywhere. I hate to mark up a book unless I just have to. So anyway, thank you so much for sharing that book with me and for sharing all of this information. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I really thank you for spending time with us. So before we say goodbye... I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and really anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. Honestly, you can't hit get on the internet with, and hit it with a stick and not find us. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Julie, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. Have a great day. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.